right, people, we are live, but not live with the post-millennial exclusive day three of the Steve Bannon trial analysis summary by David Fry, hey, your favorite YouTube law talking guy, also known as Viva Fry, Canadian litigator turned YouTuber, Rumbler, VivaBarnesLaw.Locals.Commer guy. All right. I've been covering this trial since day one. In fact, I've been covering this trial since Steve Bannon was indicted. I've been covering it with interest, trying to understand how all of this is happening, what all of this means, and now it is trial time. How is all of this going to end? Day three of the trial, it started off with something of a bang outside of the courtroom. We'll get to it. Day three, however, and the big story of the day, the prosecution has rested its case. Now, for those of you who are not lawyers, who have never watched a law show or a movie, or who have never stayed at a Holiday Inn, the way things work in a case, civil, criminal, roughly the same. There's a suing side, which would be the plaintiff in civil or the prosecutor in criminal, the defense. And the way it works is that the plaintiff, the prosecution starts his case. And then when they think they have adduced all the evidence that they intend on adducing, they say, we rest our case. We've presented all of the evidence we think we need to prove our case. And now we're saying, that's it. Nothing more to add. It is up to the defense now to rebut the preponderance of the evidence or beyond a reasonable doubt in criminal law that we believe we have satisfied after presenting all of our evidence. This is day three of the Steve Bannon trial. The prosecution has rested its case after calling a whopping two witnesses. One was Kimberly Ammerling, who is the general counsel for the January 6th committee. And the other one, Stephen Hart, uh, the FBI investigator, Department of Justice guy, who, upon being summoned by the committee to file charges against Steve Bannon, investigates and then ultimately presses those charges against Steve Bannon for contempt of Congress. Amerling started testifying yesterday. It was slow going and it didn't really go much places interesting today, although there was some Uh, development of interest, which we'll get to. Ammerling cross-examined. They're done with Ammerling. Then they call up Stephen Hart. He testifies, he's cross-examined, and then he's done. Prosecution rests his case. When I said earlier in this podcast, uh, in this video, that the day started off with a bang, but it was outside of the courtroom, it started off with one Stephen K. Bannon. I won't say going crazy because he was measured in his response. Uh, He was heated in his rhetoric, and he was quite direct in his message. Stood outside the courtroom, addressing the media, saying this is a political show trial. Nothing more, nothing less, maybe something more, maybe more than a political show trial, but it's a political show trial. Now, this is outside the courtroom, not in front of the jury, not something presumably that the judge would have seen, although I suspect the judge watches the news. I suspect the judge is going to know what Steve Bannon was saying outside of the courtroom. The jury, again, probably not supposed to see it, probably not supposed to hear it. But I suspect, as is the case in most criminal trials where the jury is not sequestered, they will hear about it uh, and they will get wind uh, as to where Steve Bannon is going, what Steve Bannon thinks, if they don't already know, because it's not like Steve Bannon has not been vocal already. Now, I'm doing these exclusive analyses, breakdowns for the post-millennial, but nobody tells me what to say, and that's the way I like it, because I couldn't live with it any other way. So when I see Steve Bannon 
out there, heated, saying what he thinks about this committee, about this prosecution, or according to some, this persecution, if I'm his lawyer, whether or not I say, Steve, don't say these things, or as your attorney, I highly advise you not to do these things, doesn't matter. Steve Bannon is quite clearly his own person, and he's out there going to be doing what he thinks needs to be done in the moment. He gets out before trial even starts today, rails against the media, rails against the committee, rails against everything that he thinks is wrong in American politics today, proceeds to enter the courtroom. Day three starts. Day three started with continuation of the examination of the testimony of Amerling, the general counsel uh, for the committee. And what does she continue to testify on? How the committee was formed? uh, How many witnesses or how many people the committee sought information from, which Amerling uh, testified was over a thousand? How many subpoenas Amerling had issued? And it's in the dozens. In cross-examination, something of interest, um, Amerling basically, she testified to the fact that there was a book club uh, of this committee or something related to this committee where they would all meet and discuss books, and it was mostly fiction, but in cross, when asked if they ever discussed politics, uh, Amerling admitted, well, given what we all do in life, it's to be expected that we discuss politics. Uh, At one point, In the day, I believe it was Bannon's counsel who tried to uh, raise the argument that this was all political. And the judge, whether or not he knew of what Bannon had done in the morning, said, we're not getting into this. We're not going to have this devolve into a political circus in the courtroom. Whether or not it's too late for that is another issue. But that's it. Bottom line, uh, in cross-examination, the purpose of the cross was to try to get at who are the decision makers in this committee? Who was the deciding mind as to whether or not uh, Bannon got subpoenaed, whether or not Bannon was held in contempt? And the ultimate conclusion to that was it was not Amerling as general counsel to the committee. Amerling and others made recommendations, but it was ultimately the committee itself that came to final determinations as to how to proceed, what to do, who to go after, and how hard to go after them. Uh, And... I think the bulk of that responsibility fell on the chair, Benny Thompson, who many of you have already seen. Testi- I'm not I'm sorry, not testifying, rather, uh, speaking at the House committee hearings that have been aired uh, primetime Thursday nights. I think they're going on the sixth day uh, tomorrow. The final day is tomorrow. Whether or not it's a coincidence that the final day of the January 6th televised committee hearings uh, is on the second to last day of what is supposed to be the trial of uh, Steve Bannon, whether or not it's a coincidence. I think Steve Bannon says there are no coincidences. Oh, I'm going to screw up the quote. It's a great quote. It's on the back wall of uh, the war room now being hosted by Jack Posobiec. There are no accidents and there are no coincidences. Something along those lines. doesn't matter. Whether or not it's a coincidence that this committee hearing is going to hold its last hearing as of the day of shooting this tomorrow, that's up to your discretion. But bottom line, cross-examination revealed that it was the committee calling the shots, making the decisions, making the determinations, possibly upon recommendation of Amerling as general counsel. Uh, Another interesting thing that came out today, which was uh, actually reported breaking by none other than Jack Posobiec, was um, a document is now going to be allowed into evidence. This is a tweet by Jack Posobiec today. Judge 
just ruled that Bannon's team is allowed to introduce a letter from President Trump waiving Bannon's executive privilege and allowing him to testify to the J6 committee, the January 6th committee. Why is this relevant? You will recall, and if you've watched the first two episodes of this post-millennial exclusive analysis breakdown, last week, earlier on, the judge uh, sort of cut the legs out of Bannon's defense in that the judge, on request from the prosecution, uh, ruled that Bannon could not invoke executive privilege as a legal defense. He could not invoke a reliance, professional reliance or reliance on old OLC, Office of Legal Counsel, memos on executive privilege. He could not rely on undermining the lawfulness, the legitimacy of the committee itself. This is what the judge ruled. And so a lot of people were saying, well, what's left of Bannon's defenses if all of Bannon's defenses have been deprived from him? by the judge on request of the prosecution. And it was yesterday where there was um, something of a, of a morning kerfuffle as to the admissibility of documents that the prosecution wanted to put into evidence, which consisted of correspondence between the committee and Bannon's attorneys back and forth, which made reference to executive privilege and Bannon's invocation of it and the committee's rejection of Bannon's invocation of executive privilege. And the judge said, I've ruled on this already. If you introduce this correspondence, it includes uh, dialogue exchanges on the issue of executive privilege, which I've said Bannon doesn't get to raise as a defense. Well, ultimately, those documents uh, are going to be allowed in, which opened the door seemingly to Bannon being allowed to argue, uh, if not at the very least invoke the executive privilege defense to raise that doubt that he either did have or thought he had, as a matter of fact, executive privilege, and that the delays set out by the committee for production of documents uh, sitting down to testify were not hard deadlines. The failure to respect would result in uh, contempt charges, but they were trying to figure out modalities, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it seems that now that a certain other correspondence can come in, and that was more recently Donald Trump issued a letter, a scathing, almost hilarious letter, because even when Trump, uh, some will say, even when he does the right thing, he does it in a way to needle the people that he wants to needle. And he, in a letter, authorized Bannon to testify before the, I believe he called it the unselect committee, uh, and called them all sorts of names to undermine the legitimacy, highlight the fact that in his mind, in Bannon's mind, this is a political witch hunt. Nonetheless, Trump wrote a letter to Bannon waiving executive privilege and authorizing Bannon to testify before the House Select Committee, January 6th Committee. Now, this was news actually last week. And Bannon said, look, I've got this letter from Trump. This is before the trial started. So the jury, there is no jury. And nobody's hearing this who's going to sit on the jury unless they're following the news. Bannon says, I've got this letter from Trump. He's allowing me to testify. He's waiving executive privilege. So let's postpone the trial. I'll testify, and then perhaps, perhaps this entire prosecution becomes academic, becomes moot, becomes without object, because I've satisfied now uh, to the request of the committee, so therefore contempt is, 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 is moot, academic, you know, wiped out. Committee says, no, we don't care about that, we, and we're going we're gonna to continue with this trial, as does the judge, and says, no postponement, proceeding to trial. That being said, the admissibility of this letter from Donald Trump waiving the executive privilege to the extent that it's now going to be admitted as evidence is certainly going to allow Bannon 
to argue to the jury that, look, I did, if not actually benefit from executive privilege as a matter of law, at the very least, as a matter of fact, I thought that I benefited from executive privilege because if I didn't, why would Trump be writing this letter? And maybe he's going to raise that as a defense to allow the jury to say, the actus reus, the act of having not complied with the subpoena is there, but the mens rea, the intent to have not complied is not there because in the mind of Bannon, either rightly or wrongly as a matter of law, but at the very least, as a matter of fact, he thought he could not comply with the subpoena. And he thought that he was collaborating, cooperating with the committee to find modalities to testify in a way that would not violate executive privilege to be determined because the defense has not yet started setting out their case. They have only cross-examined the only two witnesses the prosecution is calling. So that's the the bulk of the essence of the interest um, of Amerling's remaining testimony. Amerling's done testifying. She's off the stand. And then the prosecution calls the FBI investigator guy, Stephen Hart. Stephen Hart basically says, uh, he comes up and testifies. What was his role? Well, I get the call that says uh, they believe there's a, a contempt, a contempt of Congress, failure to respect a subpoena. I'm called to investigate. Uh, the evidence that uh, the investigator Hart looks at are social media posts from Stephen Bannon on Getter uh, from before and after the issuance of the subpoena uh, to illustrate the fact that Bannon knew that he had not complied with the subpoena, knew that he had to, and did not. And that's pretty much it. The investigator uh, says, yeah, I I was called to investigate. I saw some social media posts on Getter. uh, uh, And from the verified account of Steve Bannon, and I therefore, you know, did my investigation, came to the conclusion that there were grounds to indict, and we did. Another thing, another noteworthy thing, speaking of reliance on social media, Amerling in her testimony uh, was talking about how they relied on uh, statements that they saw in CNN and statements made in a book. I forget what the name of the book was, but basically this committee, this investigator, this this private, not private investigator, the FBI investigator, they're relying on social media posts and news in MSM, uh, allegedly attesting to the fact that Bannon knew there was going to be violence and or uh, fomented, exacerbated, ignited, incited the violence when he showed up on January 5 and said, all hell is going to break loose. And that's why they needed Bannon to testify. They can say, Bannon must, he might have known something. He must have, he might have known something about what was coming. And when he said, all hell is going to break loose, it wasn't a hyperbolic metaphor about people losing faith in the system, it was a prediction because he knew. And that's why the committee needs him to sit down, to, to, to go through his emails, correspondence, everything, to see whether or not Bannon knew something and whether or not that wasn't a hyperbolic prediction, whether or not that was actually a call to arms to get people to do what he knew was going to happen the next day, which was storm the Capitol in an act of domestic terrorism. So, this is the this is the essence of the two witnesses called by the prosecution. Bannon was served. He knew that he was served. He did not comply. Why did they need, need Bannon? Well, they needed him because he's a prominent, very vocal social media figure. 
he came there on the 5th and said, all hell is going to break loose. And they think he might have had advanced knowledge of what was going to happen. And that was his way of mobilizing the insurrection. In the morning, before everyone came into court and Steve Bannon said, this is a political show trial. And people in the media are going to say, outrageous. This is justice. Steve Bannon thinks he's above the law. He's thumbing his nose at the legitimately formed committee. And this is this is the politics. Steve Bannon saying it's a political show trial is the political spin of all of this. We can all agree Steve Bannon received the subpoena and he did not comply with the subpoena to be determined if he had any lawful excuse not to. But when Bannon gets up there and says that this is a political show trial motivated by politics and his attorneys argue the same in court, notwithstanding the fact that it leads to an objection from the prosecution, ask yourself this. Stephen Hart, FBI investigator, called in by the committee to determine whether or not Bannon uh, should be indicted on contempt of, contempt of court, contempt of Congress charges. Just ask yourself, who else was prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and who wasn't prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law or to any extent of the law for that matter for their very active, very vocal and very video recorded participation in the events of January 6th? Hashtag who is Ray Epps? Just think about this for a second. If this is not a political persecution, going after a very vocal conservative social media individual, Steve Bannon, with a wildly popular podcast, reaches more people than MSNBC, CNN, and all the others combined. They go after him because the day before the January 6th incident, I'm not calling it an insurrection, the day before the January 6th violent protest or protest gone violent, Steve Bannon says all hell is going to break loose. And Steve Bannon on his show, The War Room, talks about this at great length, criticizes uh, the outcome of the election, questions the process of the election. The committee subpoenas him, asks him for everything he's ever had under the sun because that's within the scope of their purview under House Resolution 503. And when he doesn't comply, they go after him with the full force of the law. But then there's that individual, Ray Epps, on camera the day before, actively telling people that they need to go into the Capitol. Such an outlandish, foolish idea that even when Ray Epps says it before his crowd the day before, people start chanting, fed, 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 because they know that idea is so stupid. The only one who would be stupid enough to, to, to suggest it would be a fed trying to mobilize people to do exactly what happened such that politicians could weaponize it exactly how they have proceeded to weaponize it. But let's just compare. We need to go in the Capitol. Ray Epps on camera the day before compared to Steve Bannon. All hell is going to break loose. And then the day of Steve Bannon, not even there. And then one Ray Epps is there. And according to a New York Times fluff piece, which contains all the material, um, uh, very serious facts or admissions of criminality, the fluff piece, which admits everything but just spins it, confirms that not only was Ray Epps there the day of, he was uh, he breached the barricades, was in an unrestricted area, and then left once the violence got going, and then messaged his nephew to explain how he orchestrated the violence. He's not uh, indicted. He, no charges pressed against Ray Epps 
And the New York Times running hardcover for him saying that he Ray Epps is the victim of right-wing conspiracy theories. Okay, fine. And Steve Bannon for failing to comply with the subpoena because the committee thinks that Ray that, that Steve Bannon, when he said all hell is going to break loose, had advanced knowledge of what was going to go on and they need to they need him to testify and produce documents. Yeah. Try to convince anyone that this is not a political show trial in a, a charge that is exceedingly rarely used. Uh, and I do believe it was G. Gordon Libby or Liddy. I always get the name wrong. Watergate, I believe, was the last person convicted of contempt of Congress. And I don't think any other people were actually charged with contempt of Congress. And if any were, exceedingly rare. But they've chosen Steve Bannon because of his popularity, because of his reach. And they've seemingly ignored one Ray Epps for reasons that leave people guessing. Right before the midterms, uh, ostensibly for the purposes of making it an example and hopefully, hopefully getting a notch in their belt, another notch in their belt where they can say after 500 plus days, this January 6th committee operating on your hard-earned tax dollars Well, it wasn't a fruitless venture. We got one conviction. We got one conviction for contempt of Congress and Steve Bannon's going away for two months. If it's not politics, it certainly looks like politics. And I don't think there's going to be many people out there who are going to say this is not a political prosecution or persecution because there are bigger fish to fry. They are out there in plain sight and they are just swimming freely in the pond. What comes next? Prosecution has... um, Closed its, closed its case. They've rested its case. Defense starts up tomorrow. Uh, it is still up in the air as to whether or not Bannon himself is going to testify. I couldn't make any protection, uh, pr- predictions. I would, be, I would be surprised if Bannon testifies. I'm not sure what I would suggest as his counsel because to the extent that that letter from Donald Trump waiving executive privilege is in there, you can sort of argue inferences from that letter without bringing Bannon on the stand to testify, what would be his testimony in defense? I thought I had executive privilege. Uh, I was given executive privilege, and that's why I didn't comply. But when you take the stand, which he does not have to do because this is a criminal trial, but when you do take the stand, you can't then subsequently refuse to answer questions. And I think, not to be cynical, I think the prosecution in cross-examination of Steve Bannon, if he were to get up there and testify, could make very decent arguments that Bannon uh, knew that he ought to, at the very least, show up. And if it were to claim executive privilege or plead the fifth, he could have done that. Uh, I do believe also they are pro- they would probably be able to show on cross-examination uh, that Bannon was told and knew damn well, according to the committee, that he had to show up. And whether or not he thought it was lawful, the default is the default. And then they might even be able to show that he might have been playing some semantics games with the lawyers, um, perhaps even thumbing his nose at the authority of the committee, which I think he was probably doing proudly so on social media after certain deadlines had passed. So it would be risky, and I'm not sure what there would be, uh, that there would be much to gain from Bannon coming up and testifying because we know what he would have to say in his own defense, but they might be able to decipher that or at the very least deduce that from documentation already in evidence. But... Not to be cynical, I think this is already a fait accompli under the circumstances in the jurisdiction. Um, I think Bannon's getting convicted of contempt of court, uh, contempt of Congress. I don't think there's much discussion about it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens in the defense, which starts tomorrow. And then at the end of tomorrow, we'll have the 
Day four exclusive summary analysis for the post-millennial, which they will turn and put into podcast, which I am now aware of is in fact doing exceedingly well on the podcast formats. So stay tuned for that. I will be live streaming tomorrow at some point, And I will also have Hahi uh, from the Epic Times, who's out there live tweeting. I'm going to do an interview with him on my channel, Viva Fry, on Rumble and on YouTube tomorrow uh, after day four. But there will be a day four exclusive. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for this trial. We will see the outcome and we will see the political repercussions of this. Because in as much as anyone might be um, using this as a political prosecution or persecution of Steve Bannon, it is before the midterms. People might be getting wise to what's going on and people might be getting sick of what's going on. In the United States of America and in the rest of the world, but in the United States, there are very big, very serious issues. Hyperinflation, uh, people are having much other bigger problems in this world and in their lives that they might be getting a little tired of what they might be viewing as pure partisan politics on their tax dollars. That goes on forever. So we'll see. It might backfire totally, even with a conviction, but we will see. We'll see where it goes and we'll see what the outcome of this trial is, but stay tuned for the summary on day four and peeps, see you on the interwebs. Peace out.